Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of this month's Mental Health Focus on Back Chat. Jack Thompson is our guest. Who is Jack Thompson? Well, suggest you listen to the following episode. He is an intriguing man. He is an ultra cyclist. What is that, you may ask as well? I didn't know either. And I really came into this one with no expectations, but walked away with some true insight and you know, genuine belly laughs. But uh, also some uh, terrific sharing from Jack on his, his end. Uh, he talks about his battle through uh, addiction, depression, uh, his journey to becoming an ultra cyclist and how he's made that he's living across the world now, a Guinness World Record holder. He's done some things that no one has ever done before and he's got some big things ahead as well. You'll absolutely love this one, even if you know nothing about cycling, just like me. Hope you enjoy. Follow all our stuff over at Backchat Studios on YouTube and subscribe to us if you're listening along right now. Enjoy. Okay, here we go. Jack Thompson. Jack Ultra Cyclist Thompson. I think we need to work on your nickname a little bit. He joins us from <laughs> Spain. Uh, Jack, we appreciate you getting up nice and early, mate. How are you? I'm good, boys. I'm good. It's good to be on here chatting with you and it, uh, it excites me hearing that Aussie accent, the thought of coming home. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you fully converted, like you're living in Spain, can you speak Spanish or... That's a funny one. So we're living in like a little part of Spain called Catalonia. So they speak their own language, uh, and I'm learning it slowly. But it's it's difficult. Huh? Like you've really got to commit to a language, and I'm probably like eighty percent committed. I'm not hundred percent there yet. And it's going to be to the point where you learn how to do it. And if you live anywhere else, it's going to be completely useless. So uh, that's a good <laughs> exactly. one. Now, I've, I've slipped one little question in there, but we asked the same question to all of our guests first up. Back chat powered by Fleet Network this year. Um, Jack, we appreciate you coming on and we know that you um, have, have covered some amazing feats on the bike. You're a, 
ultra cyclists, you hold Guinness World Records, you you own multiple world records in yep. the ultra cycling range, and we know how good you've been on the bike. But the first question we always ask is, we want to know your greatest sporting achievement, not in your chosen sport. Now, as we've said, you're a great cyclist, but just for this moment in time, we don't really care. Yep. We want to know what you can do off the bike. I mean, Dan Cons, we, we can all ride a bike. My co-host, yeah. I mean, we've both recently, you know, took. A, I'm taking up a new sport in fistball, mm. um, which has been quite an accomplishment for both of Might us. Be popular in Spain, actually, fistball. Dan Cons is like six for. No, do you know what? I'm changing it to okay. beating you and Hammer in the 40 meter dash. You're a fast man. I can take Sprinter. that. Sprinter. I was an under nine hurdles champion uh, before I got on the footy field. Jack, what have you got for us? Your greatest sporting achievement, not on the bike. I think mine goes back to the athletics track as well. In year four, I think it was, I was runner-up champion boy. Nice. primary school. And I remember, yeah, that was a pretty good feeling, getting the red ribbon. <laughs> runner-up. That's <laughs> so close. Who, who, who was the champion boy? I think his name was Jordan Stanley. I don't know if he, don't know if he still exists or where he's at, but he was a great little runner. <laughs> it's so funny. Anyone who's runner up knows exactly. It's like, what's their name? Oh, I don't know. It's John Stanley. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can even picture him. <laughs> oh, that's good, mate. Um, <laughs> oh, that's very good. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to this chat, mate. And, and some people tuning in might not know all about the world of uh, you know ultra cycling or marathon cycling or whatever you want to call it, long distance. Um, you've you've reach some incredible heights within this but we do also like to go back to the start a bit of your journey you're a Perth boy tell us a little bit about what's life like growing up uh for you Jack here in Perth yeah look I had a pretty um pretty good upbringing I think Perth's a bloody good place to be raised and go to school and you know we've got the beaches and we grew up surfing and you know doing sort of Perth things um went to Scotch College so I'm a private school boy and don't hold that against me. I uh, didn't really enjoy school, if I'm being honest. Um, and I guess given it's November and it's, um, you know, the big sort of, um, you know, talking mental, all things mental health, I actually realised from a pretty early age, it was about 13, my parents first picked it up, that I, I sort of suffered quite badly from depression. And um, I guess this sort of shaped my childhood a little bit. I was cast as a bit of an outsider and I just didn't really feel welcome um, at school. You know, I was a little bit different. I, um, I didn't really enjoy socialising. I didn't really enjoy hanging out with the other kids and I couldn't work out why. And it was, you know, it was because I was suffering from depression. So, yeah, this was, um, yeah, I had a couple of turbulent years there at school. I actually started as a little, little triathlete. And um, what I found was that having the swimming, the riding and the running each day, it gave me a bit of a focus. And so I had these three miniature goals that every day, you know, I was at the time I didn't realise, but now looking back, I do. It was like, I've got to do this. I've got to go for a swim. I've got to go for a ride or I've got to go for a run. And it kept me in a really good space. And anyway, this sort of shaped my uh, childhood. I was this little sort of triathlete and then... um, yeah, turned into a, an adult and went to uni and, yeah, I don't know if we want to jump straight into that, what happened at university and sort of my battle with addiction or if we want to sort of stay on the topic of childhood. No, we, we can do it all. I mean, talking about depression straight off the bat, 
is that something that you've had to learn to live with? I'm assuming that doesn't just go away because you know you have it. What what sort of things have you you know through through the journey, both as a child, um, you know, young adulthood, and where you are now? How's that sort of journey been coping with that? Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things that's like, well, for me, like you don't cure it. It's always sort of and you have sort of bouts of feeling good and then you have bouts of feeling bad. And I think the important thing for me has been sort of working out what triggers it. So for me, it's stress. Um, and also like that sense of not having control of what you're doing. So when I could sort of keep things more controlled, um, my depression tends to disappear. And there's things like sport. And basically what I'm trying to say is like developing a coping mechanism a series of coping tools, tricks, blocks. Um, that's kept me in a really good space generally. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that doesn't go away. Like, you know, I'm sort of feel as though I've got everything in the world right now, but tomorrow I might wake up and, you know, I might have four or five really bad days for no particular reason. Um, that's, that's just life living with depression. And I think it's, you know, more people suffer from it, more people experience the same thing than most people would imagine. How did you at 13 start to understand that that's what it was? Because I feel like that's a pretty mature thing to recognize that that's what you're going through and not just be like puberty and teenage angst and like everything else that you've got going on at the time. Yeah. It was, so I started developing these like ticks and um, they were crazy things, but they were like I had to, I had to do them. I couldn't not do them. And it was like I had to blink my eyes twice, pinch my lips and do this little, it was like a ritual. And if I didn't do it, I'd convince myself that something bad was going to happen. And I remember we were on a holiday somewhere with my folks up in Asia and I, I couldn't control it. Like it was just going crazy and I was just like, you know, I was manic doing these crazy things. And at this point they said, look, we need to take you to go and chat with someone. And I think it was it was thanks to my parents. They sort of picked up on it. I just... I thought I was losing my mind, um, sort of these obsessive compulsive tendencies, and they they booked me in to go and see a psychologist, which at the time I was petrified of. I thought, you know, as a 13-year-old kid, the word psychologist scared me, and um, to actually think that I was going and seeing one was something that I was like, wow, what's wrong with me? Why am I going and doing this? At this age, like, are the other kids at school doing it? And eventually, I, you know, I went and spoke with this guy and, was probably one of the best things I ever did because it became somebody I could trust, somebody that could help to guide me, but I wasn't seeing them every day and they weren't judging me. And I felt like a really strong bond with this guy and I ended up seeing him all throughout my school years as a um, as a therapist and it was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Given you've started sort of, uh, you know, talking about your journey with this in mind, it sounds like this has played a bit of a part. Maybe, you know, there's some obviously some clearly negative um, parts of it, but perhaps some positive elements uh, with what you're doing with your life now. And if we talk about things that have formed that, looking at your uh, pedigree, you've got a decent pedigree within your family. Your dad, Brian, he's ridden around the world. Your mum, Jeanette, she's climbed Mount Everest, if you don't mind. <laughs> And your brother Chad, the current physique world champion, and I want to know what that means. What it means is you can't go to the beach with him in summer because you feel inadequate. <laughs> is he all bronzed up? Is that that area? 
Yeah, he's bronze star. So he, he competes in like it's fully all natural division. So he, he's also a pilot with Qantas. So he's he's a, he's a pretty serious dude. <laughs> the golden ticket. Yeah. yeah. He um he's basically started his bodybuilding journey like a few years ago. And um one year he was like, Yeah, I'm gonna go and compete. And we sort of thought, Oh yeah, this would be a bit of a laugh. And he went and competed and he, he won his first competition and he won the open division. And they said, all right, you've got a place to go to Worlds. And so he went to Worlds and he ended up getting second at Worlds in his first year ever competing. So it's just, it's a genetic, he's got this genetic gift. He's got like an amazing body. And um, anyway, the whole COVID thing happened and no one could travel for a couple of weeks, for a couple of years, sorry. And then he went back and he, Went to Worlds again and he won the thing outright and he retired. <laughs> He's like, I've done it. I'm, I'm done. Well, That's Jack, great. we've just got a photo of Chad up here in front of us. I'll tell you <laughs> oh what, I'm gosh. not going to the beach with this bloke. That's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got a good rig on him. But so you talk about all those things, right? I mean, this this isn't. Uh, I don't know if you see it, but that's not a normal family. And when I say normal, I mean you know that seems like it's a makeup that's kind of put you in a position to be able to do what you you're doing right now do you see it that way uh i think so yeah like definitely my my dad sort of shaped what i was doing he was always a cyclist and i think mum was always you know mums are often i don't want to generalize but like they're quite safe they want you to you know follow the line and you know do the do the normal thing but mum was always quite keen for us to go and explore whatever we wanted to explore as well and i think actually having the support of mum and dad who were both doing their own sort of crazy things, but then supporting us, wanting to go and do our own crazy things too. It was like a like a free ticket. Like we could go and do whatever we wanted and we sort of, yeah, within reason, but we had the support behind us to go and do it. They weren't sort of saying, no, no, you can't go surf today because, you know, the waves are too big. They were more like, you know, go and get the water and go and do it. And like having that was, gave us like a sense of confidence growing up. Yeah, you touched on it briefly before, but you know, I, I assume uh, I was sort of, I guess, alluding to it with the with the mental health stuff as well. You, you don't wake up one day, or I guess you're not born an ultra cyclist. Like that's a decision that you've made <laughs> yeah. to start yeah. pushing your body and mind to those sorts of things. It is the uh, things you've spoken about with depression and and obsessive compulsive stuff, and um, you did touch on the addiction stuff. Is that the sort of stuff that has has actually pushed you to be what you are right now i think so i think like my obsessive compulsive tendencies have really aided me in the ultra cycling because i can i can always use them to my advantage so whereas before they were sort of causing grief and like i was doing all these rituals and I now sort of apply in a healthy way to training, for example. Like I, I don't miss a training session unless I'm sick. There's never a day where I wake up and I'm like, no, nah, I don't really feel like training today because I've got this sort of another voice in my head that's like, no, you're going to go and train today because if you don't, you're actually going to feel really bad about it. You're going to get the guilt and da 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 So I sort of use it to my advantage to help me or when times get tough out on the bike and three days into a five-day trip, you know, I tap into that obsessive personality again and it actually helps me to get through whatever I'm going through. So I almost think like going through it as a as a teen and, you know, into, into my adult years, 
I, I, I would, you know, I would have said, I, I hate having depression. I hate living with this. Now I'm almost like, you know, I'm sort of glad that I do suffer from it because it shaped me into who I am today for sure. And just my ability to be able to go and talk about it and feel open to talk about it with strangers. I think, yeah, if I can use it to try and help other people, then that's, that's massive as well. It's like a, the origin story of a superhero. Correct. Yeah. Is he X-Man? Wouldn't go that far, but... <laughs> well, the addiction you spoke about, how serious did that get? That was pretty bad. So I was um, I was using like daily... Um, basically, like I, when I went to uni, I studied construction management and economics, and this was back in 2007, 2008. And it was the, obviously the construction boom at the time. So as young lads, we were all making pretty reasonable money while we were studying because there was a demand for us in the industry. And, like, my obsessive personality kicked in in a negative way in that, like, partying became partying really hard all the time and I was using a lot of sort of recreational drugs. And um, basically what happened is I got home from work one day, still living at home, and uh, laid out on my bed when I went up to my bedroom was all the gear I'd been using that I had saved in my room. So the parents had gone through the room and basically you know, found it all. They'd realised something was going on. It was laid out on the bed and it was super awkward because I then had to go downstairs and sort of face them. And my dad was like, what the fuck are you doing, mate? And I was like, I had nothing to say. And he said to me straight up, he looked me in the eye and he said, unless you stop, you can basically buck off from this family. Like He, he was really brutally honest with me he said we don't want to be a part of your life anymore and like as I said like the family was always like a really strong pillar for me growing up and so the thought of not having them around to support me anymore I couldn't comprehend that and so I basically stopped cold turkey I um overnight I stopped taking anything and I just I went right off the deep end into this spiral of depression because I'd been living this sort of high life on gear for so long that when I stopped, I would just I went off into you know big dark hole of despair. And that's when I went into rehab for a little while and um, sort of got things back on track. But it was yeah pretty dark times for a while there. Um, imagine pretty tough on the parents as well. Do you think on ref- like I'm assuming this is obvious, but you're thankful for that harsh reality from your parents, your dad especially, on reflection. Yeah, 100%. Like it, my respect for him at the time was, you know, like, oh, you know, dad's caught me. You know, didn't really rate that. But, like, looking back now, the best thing that could have happened was that him, him and mum sort of working out what I was doing and confronting me about it. Otherwise, you know, who knows, I'd still be using or maybe, I, you know, who knows what would have happened. Also, like, it's really impressive that, you know, you hear stories like that and, the the son or daughter whoever can go completely opposite and be like well then if you don't want me i'm out and you know it's just a that's a a really fortunate um situation that you found yourself in that it it actually worked on you instead of pushing you away which is which could have been worse yeah i think the fact that they supported me all throughout my youth it was like nah like i could sort of like see through the haze i was like nah life's more than this you know like i'm (laughs) 20, 21 years old and I'm, you know, I had to reel this in a little bit. 
So it was, yeah, real wake up call for me. Are you cycling? Are you cycling at this time? Like, are you, are you racing while working, or is this sort of something that's pushed nah. you into? So I gave the cycling away when I went to uni. Um, I sort of went through that sort of phase as a bloke where I was like, I want to become a man. And, like, I'd always been, like, skinny at school because I was cycling and, you know, doing a lot of cardio and this sort of thing. And then when I finished school, I went to university and then I was in the construction industry, you know, that notion of actually wanting to be, like, a bigger bloke. And, you know, so I started going to the gym and doing more, um, you know, like sort of normal sports stuff. Um, so I wasn't cycling at all. And then it was when I came out of the rehab, my dad said to me, look, maybe we need to get you back on a bike. And, you know, you can imagine I didn't want much to do with that at this time. And, you know, I eventually gave in and I went for a ride with him and a couple of his mates around the river and I fell in love with it again, like just the endorphin boost of racing around the roads and, you know, I, I fell in love with it. And uh, that was sort of the beginning for me again. I sort of rekindled the, the romance with the bike and, um, yeah, started from there. So you're 21 when you're in rehab, and I'm assuming you're around the same sort of time you start cycling properly. At what point does it become a profession, though? At what at, It must go from going for a ride with the old boys around the river to <laughs> yeah. breaking world records and Guinness World Records. What's the point where it becomes serious? Don't underestimate these old boys, all right? Some of them got all right. <laughs> Listening probably going, hey, yeah. we've taught him a few lessons around. <laughs> so basically what happened was like, so I've got this obsessive personality. So when I do something, I always do it like 110%. And so growing up, dad was actually always, you know, you mentioned that he rode around the world. So every year he'd basically go and he'd do this crazy trip around, you know, a portion of the world. So one year it might have been China to Istanbul or, you know, he'd do this portion. So we grew up with this dad that was always doing these adventures and I sort of realised that I didn't really enjoy racing a bike. I didn't enjoy like the, I just didn't enjoy the sort of competitive space of having to rock up, race against someone and I didn't enjoy that. I enjoyed going and exploring. And so I started exploring on the bike and I started doing longer and longer kilometres and I enjoyed that and I found like it was almost like a bit of a meditation for me and I could go and I could escape the city and I could go up into the hills and I loved it and uh, I saw that there was this race advertised in Europe called the Transcontinental Race and it was a race that basically took you from Belgium and you rode all the way across through Europe and into Turkey and you could go whichever way you wanted but the first person there won and so I signed up and I thought oh this is great like, I'm gonna go you can go whichever way you want is that right wherever you want <laughs> pick your own roads <laughs> there must be like one one way that everyone goes there, right? The quickest way. Well, you'd think so, but it's like it's not. Everyone goes different ways and like has their own. Like, oh no, but this mountain range is harder than this one. So like, it all just splits up. It's pretty cool. Anyway, so I went and did this, and like I set off on the first night, and I was like, wow, like this is like living. Like I felt alive. Like I was like in Belgium. I hadn't really travelled to Europe much as a you know previously and I thought wow this is great and I spent the next 10 days living on a bike just hammering myself and I arrived in Turkey and I was and my dad actually flew over to meet me he was he was stoked about the whole thing as a cyclist and I said to him oh that was amazing 
but I don't really want to go back to work. And he's like, oh, why not? And I said, I just I don't like work anymore. Like I, I spend half my time at work looking at cycling websites. I'm like, this trip's just shown to me. Like this is the first time I've actually felt like this. I feel like I've, I've found what I want to do. And he was like, well, just give the work away. And I was like, well, I can't really give it away. Like I need an income, Dad. And he's like, I reckon if you're passionate about this, you can make a career out of it. And so I was like, all right. So I went back to work. And I handed him my notice and I said, look, boys, I'm, I'm out of here. I, I can't do this anymore. I don't enjoy it. And the boss said to me, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to try and become a professional cyclist. And he said, you don't race. And I was like, yeah, I know I don't, but I'm going to try and like forge my own path here. And so basically I, I, I was in this position where I, you know, the job didn't exist, but I was sort of adamant that if I was focused and I could sort of, you know, I could work it right, that I could create a job out of it. And so I initially started working with different tourism boards up in Asia. And basically I pitched a concept that like, I'm going to come and ride in Thailand and I'm going to write an article and take images and um, you guys are going to basically pay for my trip and I'm going to try and promote tourism in, in the country. And so this sort of gave me a bit of an income and I was doing this all throughout Asia for a while. And then I worked out that I could get sort of sponsorship because I was then appearing in magazines and in-flight entertainment and whatnot. And so I started reaching out to different brands because I could get them an audience. And then I, I was like, I had this crazy idea, of, like I want to go to Taiwan. I've heard of this, this crazy mountain in Taiwan. Um, basically you climb from sea level up to 3,500 metres on one road. And I said to a mate, look, let's go, and, let's go there and like actually film something. And he was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, well, we'll go and we'll, we'll, we'll climb it four times. We'll do something like real extreme on the mountain. And he was like, oh, like, yeah, why would you do that? And I said, well, there's a race there. Let's go and, like, make use of the fact that there's already media there. I'm going to go do something crazy and we'll document it. And then actually I'm going to talk about my mental health struggles as part of the film and see if we can, like, engage people outside of the cycling world. So we went and shot this film. And it was a real success. Brands were really behind it, the whole sort of venture and cycling and the, you know, being open and honest about the mental health struggles. And basically from there, I've sort of grown it into a career where I create film content and I, I basically pick records of things that I'm going to break and I document them as films. And over the last probably eight years now, that's how, that's how I've been living. That is crazy. That is that is crazy. I mean, oh, a lot of questions out of that for mine. But if we go back to making that decision, and one year old man saying, "Well, you know, if you, if you're passionate enough, you can kind of manifest it effectively." Um, you must have had some tough times to start with, though. So you're, t- you're talking about going through Asia and hitting up tourist boards. I can't imagine if that's reciprocal. Like they go, oh, "Okay, no worries, Jack Thompson. Not too easy, mate. You've done nothing." <laughs> Come and come, <laughs> come and ride, you know, whatever country it is. Like, it must have been brutal to start with. There was, there was definitely time. Like, to be honest, the tourism stuff was actually really good. Like, I, there was no like bad times with the tourism. I will say, one time in China, I was arrested. So I, they thought I was a spy on the Tibetan border, and like literally in the middle of China. And I ended up in like a lockup in China for for a little while. That's probably a story for another potty, but 
No, uh, like no, 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 no. It's a story for right now. You don't get to move on. <laughs> that here, mate. You can't, drop that on you can't just be dropping. I oh, spent a bit of time up in China. Let's <laughs> speak later about that. So basically, what happened, right? I was riding from central China down into Laos, and like, we're I was on I was alone, but I was like close to the Tibetan border. And in China, every night when you check into a hotel, they basically like keep a track of. Your passport, where you've been, they, they you know, they, they keep a track of where you're at as a foreigner. And I arrived in this one town, I forget the name of it now, um, but it was like an ancient city. And so I'd arrived there quite early. I'd come early and I'd ridden there and I wanted to go and have a bit of a look around. And when I got there, the, the lady at the hotel it was like she knew I was coming even though I hadn't booked. And she said, Oh, we're going to take you down to the police station because you've got to check in. And like you got to imagine, this is all done on a translation. It's like I'm not talking Chinese; she's not talking English, so it's all a bit broken. So I've gone down to the local police station, and they've got me, and they've sort of grabbed me, and I'm wearing like a Nike singlet and a little pair of running shorts because that's the only clothes that I take when I'm doing like a multi-day trip. I'm, I'm like bare bones, and they've, they've put me into a into a little cell, and um, sort of jabbering to me in Chinese and I'm obviously not understanding. And because I'm in this little concrete sort of room, my phone's not working, so I've got no reception. I, I can't translate anything. And I was really lucky because the police chief, his wife, was happened to be an English teacher at a school nearby. So he got her on the phone, on his phone. And she was asking her, what are you doing here? You know you've got the camera, like, and I was like, I'm literally just riding from central China to Lao. I'm here, like, just it's essentially a holiday. I'm not working. I'm not doing anything dodgy. And eventually they let me off. And so I'd been interrogated for a couple of hours there. And I think the chief of police felt bad, right? And so as I got out of the cell, it was written to me on his phone. And I've written to him first. I said, like, where can I get food? Because at this stage I'm starving. And he's, he's written back to his phone, like, would you like to join me for dinner? And I was like, like, you know, he's just arrested me. Now he's invited me for dinner. So this is where the story gets, like, super crazy. So I said, okay, like, you know, when in Rome, when in China. So I ended up, so I'm sitting in the police station, and this has all happened quite quickly. It's the end of the day. Um, a four-wheel drive dropped up right out the front. He sort of signaled for me to go and jump in the, in the back seat. And I get in the back seat and I'm the only one in there and there's these two boxes, right? So like the boxes are sort of yay big and they're wrapped heavily in tape. And suddenly like my mind just, like my stomach started to sink. I was like, all right, so they've not been able to get me on like a spy charge. They're going to try and dupe me up here as like a drug trafficker. So, like, we're literally hammering around the back streets of China in the city, and I'm, I'm like, fuck, what's going on here? And um, we get down this little alleyway, and, like, the car stops, and there's this little red door. I, I, I can still picture it. And he like, signals for me to get out of the car and, like, to grab the packets. And I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm touching those packets because I don't want my fingerprints on them. Like, I'd already, like, done the full CSI scan of the situation. And anyway, so I like opened the door for him to like get the stuff out of the car and go upstairs. So he's grabbed him, gone upstairs. We walked up the stairs and at the top there's like this group of people sitting around a table eating dinner. 
I thought, this is weird. Anyway, he started ripping open the boxes and I'm like, fuck, waiting for everything just to go everywhere. And he's pulled out two six-packs of Belgian beers. (laughs) And he's written into his app, in in China we prefer the Belgian beers to the Chinese beers. (laughs) (laughs) So we ended up having dinner and going to karaoke together. (laughs) Oh, that is epic. (laughs) That's good. It was such a loose story. Tell me your best mates with the Chinese chief of police now. Yeah, I did. I had him on. I had him as a contact save, but I've lost him. I've like f- tried to find him so many times. I don't have him in there. Oh, that is an epic story. Um, I, I look I, honestly. We we probably both Dan and I didn't know what to expect you know, with the with yeah. the chat, but we're, we're like that's epic. But we're we're definitely keen to talk about some of the sort of world beating stuff that you've been able to do. So you spoke about your first ultra cycling event which you finished 30th at so you weren't very good I mean, unless it was 300 nah. you weren't getting your- <laughs> <laughs> i was a bit of a bunter but you've improved <laughs> clearly because you've started doing things that people haven't done ever in the world um what's your first sort of world beating thing that you knock off is it the is it the everesting project or was it something before that nah so it was off the back of covid i was i've been stuck in um, Spain, and I had to think of a project that I was going to do in Spain. I couldn't leave Spain, and I, I'd seen that this guy had broken the seven-day most kilometers ridden world record, and I think he'd done three thousand two hundred kilometers or something. And I did the maths, and I was like, I reckon I could do five hundred kilometers a day for a week, and that'd give me a new world record. So I, I basically applied with Guinness World Records and um, said that I was going to try and break the record. And then I picked what I thought was the flattest part of Spain, which wasn't actually very flat. And we actually went and spent seven days riding loops around a not-so-flat countryside and and I managed to to break that record. Um, That was back in 2020 now, I guess. Yeah, 2020 that was. So most kilometres ridden unsupported in a week. So 500 kilometres a day. Like, what's that look like? Give it to normal people like Dan and I, people listening. Like, All right, let's, let's put it into perspective for Perth people, right? So that's like you, you jump on your bike in Perth City and you ride down to just past Bustleton and then you turn around and ride back. <laughs> every day. Every day. That's, that's 500K. Yeah. So doing that every day, yeah. It's, how, long it's, that take, how long is that taking you? So that's like averaging, that's probably like on the bike, 16 to 18 hours a day. And then you've got to factor in, like you obviously got to stop somewhere in there and eat. Um, generally, there's something goes wrong each day, so you've got to factor that in. And then you've got to obviously like sleep and have dinner. So I was operating on about three or four hours sleep a night. When it says unsupported, does that mean you did it by yourself or did you have people riding with you? Nah, by yourself. So it's all done alone. Um, yeah, you're sort of at one with your own mind there. It's more of a mental game than a physical game, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I can imagine. Talk to me about that then. Like what, what, so it's what, like, what happens in your mind? Tell, tell, what, what happens in your mind when you're doing that? Like everything happens in your mind. You've just got so much time to think, right? You've got so much time alone and you're like, – 
for this particular one, you're, you're actually somewhere that's quite remote because you're trying to pick somewhere that doesn't have a lot of traffic, doesn't have a lot of cars, doesn't have a lot of hills. So you, you're basically at one with your, it's like riding across the Nullarbor. And uh, it's sort of, that's where a lot of like, I've sort of developed a lot of my mental health sort of tools through the actual riding of the bike. So it's like, how do I shut off the chatter? How do I uh, work through that difficult time and get to the next little milestone? And for me, I use like little rewards. So it's like, for example, music. I could listen to music all day long if I wanted to. A couple of good house mixes, a couple of good, you know, 94.5 mixes from back in the day. Like I can get, I can listen to music all day. Fred Bodica and the, and the bunch. But, um, (laughs) I, um, I use music as a reward, right? So I'll like, I'll say to myself, all right, I'm going to do a hundred kilometers and then I'm going to put music in and then I'll listen to music for 50 kilometers, but then I put it away and then it's like, all right, I've got to write another hundred kilometers before I can put that music back in. And it's these little sort of like rewards that I use with myself to get me to that next little period. I also do things like I use like different food, like, all right, for this 100 kilometers, I'm going to eat this, this, and this, and then for the next 100. So it's basically like breaking things down into smaller and smaller goals, smaller, smaller chunks, so that you feel like you're constantly achieving something. And that for me, like even now, like in daily life, that's something I use like every day. Like it's a glass of water as soon as I wake up in the morning before I have a coffee, and I've got to do my stretching before I have the coffee. So I'm like forcing myself to do these things. And I'm ticking them off a list, and that's my way of being productive. And I'll do the same thing on the bike. It's like I've got to get to 100, then I put the music in, then I'm going to do 50, and then I'm going to do another 100. So there's 250 kilometers without actually sort of thinking about it. But if you just looked at it as a 500-kilometer ride, that's really hard to deal with mentally. You've got to break it down into small chunks, and that's how I deal with them, small chunks. Well, small chance, but it's reward based as well, right? And whether or not it's physical or mental, the reward you're giving yourself some a reward for doing something every time. Yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I swear by it, like, it doesn't always have to be, like, a reward. Like, people often think of rewards as it's, like, something that's, like, oh, I've eaten well all week, so this week I'm going to go and have McDonald's. I don't necessarily think of a reward like that. Like, a reward could be something like the music or, like, at night time, turning on the TV once you've done the washing. Like, it, it's little things that you enjoy doing. They don't necessarily have to be, like, guilty pleasures, if you know what I mean. Can so when you're riding for that many days and and you get to that final day, do you just just still have to do that average amount that you'd sort of scheduled, or did you have to make up time? How did that go when you finished it? So it was, I'd actually built up excess during the week, so I'd done a little bit extra each day, 
because I'd actually been nervous about weather. And so like every so the first day I did like five hundred and fifty kilometers, the second was five fifty as well. So I'd like I built up this buffer. And then what was actually really hard was on the final day, like I knew I had to do less. And because of that it was almost harder. I was like, oh like I can be a bit like slack with it and you know, like let the pedal like let my foot off the steam a little bit. And anyway, like I got to the point where I'd broken the old record and I was like, ah, oh, I'm just gonna stop here, like I've done it. And it was like the, the people that were there with me, like filming, and they're like, no, no, you hit that three and a half thousand, hit that three and a half thousand. So we ended up hitting three and a half thousand. And I still had 12 hours still to ride. And I was like, no, nah, I'm done now. Like, let's go. And, like, I wanted to go and celebrate with these people. And it's probably the dumbest thing I've ever done. I wish that I'd kept riding till the end because the, the record ended up going and getting broken by somebody that rode to the end. And I, I, I look back and I'm like, I learned from that now, like I'll never, never do it again. But like looking back, I kicked myself. Like I should have kept riding. What happens once you break a Guinness world record? Are you in some sort of club? Um, do you, you get, get a plaque? Yeah. Plaque. Do you get invited to like a special room that no one else has been in? Here we go. He's got, he's got, hey, got on. You become officially amazing. I was just listening and not watching. Jack has just held up a piece of paper. I can only assume that says you are officially amazing. (laughs) That's good. So basically, you get your you get your certificate, and then there's no guarantees. But like you know that book that Santa always used to bring you for Christmas, the one that goes under the tree. Best. The, you basically, you know, you run the run the chance of getting into that book. So my my biggest claim to fame was that I actually made that book. So I've, my mum bought like five or six copies of it, and they're probably collecting dust somewhere at home. <laughs> but I'm in the book. Jeanette, Jeanette's now a distributor of the Guinness World Record. <laughs> Aussie distributor. Oh, good. Is it is it hard? Uh, was, was that specific? Uh, Guinness World Record you set was that hard you made it sound easy yeah it was hard I like that was like a week of proper graft like actually hitting the and like the thing with Guinness right is like they stipulate there's a whole it's a business right so you've got to pay to actually even register it's quite expensive but then they set the rules so we basically had to film every single hour I was writing Somebody had to record to the camera, hi there, my name is da 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 it's Tuesday, 17th of August, turn the camera around, this is Jack Thompson, he's now riding along this road. So every hour you've got to do this three-minute video, but then you've also got to give a logbook, so like every hour, how many kilometres I've done, what time is that, it's super onerous to actually do it. And once I did that one, I said, oh, I'm, like, I'm not registering them with Guinness anymore because it's just... It adds like an admin element to everything that's just not really needed, and it costs you money. Like you've done the one, like that's enough. I think people that will be listening along would attribute cycling to the Tour de France, or at least, yeah. Um, I'm no cyclist genius, but I love watching the tour. Um, you said earlier that you've never really loved the competitive element of racing against other people, but racing against yourself was racing in the tour ever an option or you done anything similar to those 
I'd never like obviously like as a little triathlete like way back when like that, that the notion of riding the tour was always a bit of a dream but like it was a it was a long shot but the um I had this this project idea and it was like I want to go and ride the tour de France but I want to do it in my own way and while the tour is a three-week race I had this idea that I want to go and ride it in 10 days. So in 2021, we had this project called The Amazing Chase. And basically what I did was I gave the, I didn't get one of these, but it was an amazing chase. <laughs> we, um, we gave the Tour de France a 10-day head start. So they left from um, wherever they were, I forget the name of the town where they left that year, they left. Ten days later, I left from the same town and I rode the entire Tour de France, but I basically did the two stages every day as opposed to the one stage a day. And so we did the Tour de France in, in ten days and arrived in Paris before the Peloton got there. So, like, you know, like, I like designing my own little things and then going about doing them, and this was one of them. It's like a bit of a creative outlet. I mean, these are the best cyclists in the world, and you thought I'll just give them a ten-day head start. No worries. <laughs> did, did you actually? Pass them? Did you? There, was there a time you passed them? Or was it overnight that you did that? So it was like it was the rest day in Andorra. So they were having the rest day, and that was the day that I sort of essentially passed them. And it was pretty good because, like, being here, I got like mates that ride. Like where I live is is sort of like the hub of cycling worldwide. So there's 200 professionals living in sort of the city that I'm in. So, like, we're all sort of mates. And, like, a couple of the lads came out and, like, they rode with me the day that I was coming through. So that was pretty cool. Um, that they, they, like, they bought into the idea. Like, they, like, there's a mutual respect between us. And um, that was really cool, actually, to, for them to sort of come and, and be a part of it. I don't know why I'm thinking of Mr. Bean, but like Mr. Bean, like going past, <laughs> like giving the, the double, like double <laughs> birds as he rides, <laughs> rides past the hotel. I'm just imagining that himself, like giving a little secret finger as he, as he walked right past the hotel. Like, sucked in, motherfucker. Did, did you have any, um, anyone running next to you? You know, that's a big thing with the two other guys with the signs and stuff like that. You know what? What was actually sick was when I, when I passed the sort of peloton, so to speak, so they were in Andorra. But you've got to imagine, like, the tour is a circus, so there's people, like, camping roadside for, like, days on end before the tour comes through because they want to see it. So when I actually went past them, that afternoon I had to do my second stage for the day, and I set off and all the roads were closed and all of the punters that were there to watch the tour the following day were already on the roadside, so they were camping there ready for the, for the next day's stage. So, like, I had my own little private, almost, like, tour experience where it was, like, people like cheering as I was going through and it was a shame because it was like the afternoon and it was sort of getting into night time but it was sick like people coming out I, I got this one one really good image of this French guy running next to me with like a beret on and he's like cheering and yeah it was sick like, great experience uh, that's 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 epic so it was called the amazing chase and I'm assuming you can, you can watch this online I'm assuming you're on YouTube yeah or... that one's on YouTube yeah Amazing chase. How long did it take you to come up with that name? Like we had like a full committee to come up with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's because there's like obviously like when, with these things, there's like sponsors behind them, and like it's not just sort of me coming up with an idea and going and doing it. Like there's like it, there's a bit of money that has to come in to make it happen. So like 
this like input from brands and this sort of thing. So yeah, there was like a, a bit of a committee. I imagine there was one or two meetings around the name and that's what we came up with. So um, not only are you doing uh, these epic rides around the world and we've heard the journey there, but you, you are, you know, there is a big part of it is is about the mental health uh, journey you've been on too and you've you've been able to raise money along the way as well. Um, what One of those... One of those being being the, the fifty two Everestings, um, which you can explain to the people what that means. I mean, it sounds hard. So basically, an Everest on a bike, or like for those that run as well, it's the same concept. Like an Everest as a mountain, the highest mountain on earth, eight thousand eight hundred forty eight meters in elevation. So this concept of Everesting, right, is you pick one climb, one hill, one mountain, whatever you. And you basically ride or run up it however many times it takes to hit the equivalent height of Mount Everest. So if the mountain that you were climbing up was 4,424 metres, you would do it twice. But if the mountain's 100 metres, you might do it 84 times or 88 times or whatever it is. So it's the cumulative Everest, uh, cumulative uh, elevation. So, yeah, within cycling, it's a big thing. You pick a mountain, you go and climb it up, down, up, down, up, down until you hit that height of Everest. And, yeah, it generally takes anywhere from, like the standard Everest might take from 12 to 16 hours to do one. Depending on your so in 2022, the record's eight, I think. You, you did. I'm sure there's people that take that. You did. You did 52 Everestings uh, in one year. You. Your goal was to do over a million meters in a calendar year, which you did, and you raised uh, over one hundred and sixty thousand Australian dollars for mental health charities. Does does that rank quite high in uh, pride in things you've done? Yeah, that's the highest. So we actually raised half a million dollars for the three charities. So that one, yeah, that one was bigger, big for me, like on a personal level, because it was actually really hard, but also like as a as far as like an achievement or like a career achievement goes, like actually being able to help that many other people, like that that's my passion, you know, like I love riding the bike, but I feel like my greater purpose is actually in trying to help other people. Um, and so like to be able to combine that riding the bike and actually making a difference to other people uh, definitely is, yeah, my sort of proudest, proudest moment as, a, as an athlete. Have you have you had many first hand experiences of of helping people? You, you're very open with how you speak about your mental and your, your journey from that sense. Growing up, we've seen what you can do from a mental and physical element. Cycling, do you do you get to meet, speak, or otherwise hear from people that you are helping? Yeah, I I, I do actually, and like I think while I sometimes I have a love-hate relationship with like social media like I don't necessarily love posting everything on there it's actually been like a really powerful way for me to get feedback from other people or for people to be able to reach out and say hey look like that's made a massive difference in my life like I just want to thank you for that or but I also do like uh, I really enjoy the public speaking stuff um, we've just done a, um, some public speaking here in Spain with, with some sports psychology students around the power of having a, having a dream and um, I love that stuff. We do some like corporate stuff, chatting with like brands and businesses around like the power of um, mental health in the workplace and the importance of exercise. 
and I, I'd say like once the cycling sort of comes to a point where I can no longer officially be amazing, then like I want to explore, you know, the, the public speaking side of things more seriously. Like I, I say that's where I'd like to go. Because you've been solo on a lot of this sort of stuff, do, do, do you sometimes become quite insular? Like the, the mental drive you'd have to be able to plug yourself into and, and the mode you've got to go into to do this, does it become quite an insular sport that you're participating in? Sorry, when you say insular, you mean like... Um... Well, solitary and insular being, you know, I know they don't mean the same things, but it's certainly a solitary sort like of... lonely? But, yeah, lonely. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. At times, it's definitely lonely. Like, yeah, I don't mind like the time alone. I I quite enjoy it. Like, it's therapy for me. But yeah, at times, especially when it's like a big training block and you're out there three, four days, ten hours a day, that does get pretty lonely. Um, or like if it's an event, like a, the seven-day world record, like it's it's a lot of time alone. But I think as well, like I've got a support team behind me. So it's like while there's not somebody riding with me, there might be a chef at the house, there might be a physio, there might be you know somebody helping with logistics. And it's never just me breaking a record. It's like I've got these people around me that actually make it happen that don't get seen. There's a lot of these behind-the-scenes people as there are like in the – in the footy scene, you've got your coaches and your physios and things. like These are the guys and girls that actually make it happen. And I think for that reason, while it is a solo sport, I do still feel like I have like a real team around me. And I think that's, yeah, I enjoy having that around me. I know one man will be listening to this, Dan, Timmy Franklin. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've, ever, I don't know if you've heard of Timmy Franklin at all, Jack. Have you heard that name before? No. You have now. Tim, uh, who we've had on the podcast, he is currently a uh, big listener of Backchat, but he's currently running around the world. So Tim Franklin, he's on about day uh, three, uh, three, three, sixty. Yeah, 360. Ish. He's running about 50 to 60 kilometres a day. Uh, and he's, he's getting into Perth pretty pretty yeah. soon. You've got, Early next year, I think. Yeah, so he, he is uh, running the globe. I think only five people ever have done this, and he's trying to break – the world record for it, and yeah. I thought, but I thought we'd just give him a quick shout out. I mean, yeah, you got you got you lunatics running around, <laughs> riding around. It's hectic. Keep running, Timmy. Keep running, mate. Yes. Um, what's next, mate? What you, you've done some crazy things, but I know you're headed back to Perth shortly. Tell us about what's up on the agenda. So actually, I'm flying back to Perth this Friday for um, what is a pretty cool event. So it's one we've been working on for a little while now. Um, Event name itself is Mundabitty Dreaming. So it's, it's a bit of a it's, it's, it's a cool project because there's the record attempt, which is trying to ride as fast as I can from Perth down to Albany along the Mundabitty Trail, um, taking in the, the fact that it's all on Indigenous land and, and telling that story as part of the film, um, but also the, the more philanthropic component, which I'm really excited about, is in partnership with Okia, which is a mental health um, digital platform that promotes connected well-being, uh, and we're actually visiting a series of schools along the way north, um, chatting with around five thousand kids around the power of exercise, the power of um, riding bikes, and basically just showcasing that you know depression exists within society, and that's that's okay. It's just a matter of finding the support and the, 
people around you to support you. So, yeah, really, really looking forward to this one. Um, back on home soil, obviously, and, and giving back to the to the WA community will, will be great. So this is a world record attempt. The previous record, well, no, the existing record, yes. two days, 17 hours and 22 minutes. Are you, how are you going to go about this? Is it a non-stop ride? Is it getting some sleep in? I'd say it'll be non-stop, to be honest. I'll take a little, like a, a sleeping, it's not a sleeping bag, it's like a, I don't know, like a sack. I'll take a sack that I'll sleep in. <laughs> But I'll, I'll try not to sleep for this one. So, it'll, yeah, I'll, I'll be due a few hours of shadow when I arrive in Albany. Um, but, I mean, it's two days, two and a bit days without sleep. It all depends on what the weather's like. Like, depends how hot it is, depends on the wind conditions. Like, you never know. So you're better off to take something to sleep in just in case. You don't want to get let. You don't want to be out in the in the bush with nothing. How do you prepare for this physically? Because you're obviously still just continuing. It's not like you're just always riding a bike, but do you have to do something differently for getting ready for this sort of ride? Yeah, so this one, like typically in a week, I'll train, like a normal week for me is 25 to 30 hours of riding. When I do these like particular events, um, I'll then throw in like a couple of real big weeks in there. So it might be a 40 or a 50-hour week where it's, it's more just getting used to being on a bike for that period of time. Um, and a lot of it actually comes down to the equipment that you're using. So like testing, how does the bike feel with this bag on it, with this sort of weight distribution? It's not on the road, so it's off-road. It's on that pea gravel, which Perth and um, you know the southwest is sort of notorious for. It's quite slippery um, sort of ground. Um, so, you know, you've got, to, you've got to have your wits about you and how the bike's set up. And so I've spent like a good period of time now just making sure I've got all the right equipment, um, working on like a fueling strategy, like how am I going to eat, how much am I going to eat, when am I going to refuel, planning, like where are the water stops. There's a whole lot of logistics that goes into sort of making these things happen. The physical one of actually riding the bike, like for me, that's almost like the easy part, the part I enjoy. Then looking at the trail, looking at the oh, what time does this shop open and what time am I going to get there? That feels more like homework, but it's <laughs> look, it is what it is. It's all part of it. So for those listening along that might be in Albany or WA surrounds, you're going to kick off on Friday the 24th of November. Early start, not that early though. Five thirty. Yeah, I thought it would have been earlier, but yeah, that's, all that's all right. He's not going to sleep for two days. Getting in <laughs> uh, to Albany on the twenty sixth of November. So, hoping for a bit of a guard of honor or something like that. I'm assuming. Yeah, if you're down in Albany, like, come on down and and cheer a, a haggard, haggard man through the, uh, the finishing line. <laughs> do you, how, how do you celebrate these sorts of things? Because like, are you, are you having a beer or if you have like one drip of alcohol, are you completely spent? How does that work? I actually don't drink. So ever since I sort of came out of rehab, like I, I don't really, I don't touch alcohol anymore. Um, but like I love like alcohol free frothies. Like there's a great selection over here, like you know, Shelter Brewings getting behind this one and um, throwing in some, some of their ales. So yeah, like I'll, I'll grab a, Grab a shelter brewing zero zero and get stuck into that, and then probably I don't know find if, the nearest chicken party. I don't, I don't know if Jack's fucking with us or not. Do, I, I don't think he is. 
Is Shelter getting behind this? Yeah. Mate, Shelter is the beer of choice of yeah, the Back Chat Studios. This is unbelievable. Is <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely, mate. You know what? No way. Back, look at the Back Chat Shelter Ale right here. Look at these oh, you got your own ales. How good is that? Yeah. That is correct. Well, I mean, it's unsurprising. I mean, isn't it? No, they do great things. No, it's unsurprising that Shelter are supporting yeah, Chats. I mean, no. both great people. So make sure uh, we get around this. It sounds like um, the the stuff with the kids post could, could – I mean, given that what we've just been through with some of the things you've done from an endurance and ultra side of things, the two days doesn't seem – I mean, two days, two days. You just said you get to the seven-day thing. It sounds like <laughs> follow-ups with the schools, um, imparting that sort of knowledge – yeah, is a big part of this. Yeah, for for me, like that, that's what I'm really excited about. Like the ride, I'm I'm excited. Don't get me wrong, but like the the, the piece afterwards is the more important piece, and that's been that's been like what all the hard work sort of the last couple of months on the the early um, Zoom calls with the team in Australia and like bringing that to life. There's a real team around that, and so like a lot of them I haven't met before. Like the people I've just been dealing with online. So to actually get back, properly meet the team and actually be able to go and execute the, the philanthropic component with the kids. And I think especially like leading into Christmas, it's that it's quite an exciting sort of time of the year for kids. Um, getting back and seeing them, you know, the school year sort of about to end, they're about to go on holidays. It almost like brings back memories of me being a school kid and, you know, looking forward to going on the school holidays. So I'm like, there's a bit of a buzz around that in itself. We've got, a little, we've got a little bit more to get through, but a couple of questions I've got. You've clearly shaved down for the event or, or something. I've seen yeah. some photos with a big beard and, and longish <laughs> hair. Are you, are you in competition mode right now? So, like, we went to Italy on a little getaway a few weeks ago, like end of the sort of like tourism season here. We thought, oh, let's go to Italy and um, just like let, let the hair down, so to speak. <laughs> and um, I actually saw, like, couple of Italian dudes rocking the bald head and I was like that's actually a pretty good look and I thought you know, I'm gonna give it a go <laughs> so like I've, I've actually got quite thick hair and I, I was like oh, I'm just gonna shave it so I, I did the shave I did the number four and then I was like the obsessive personality kicked in and I reckon four's look short enough let's go with zero so I went to zero and I don't I don't actually mind the look I need to get a bit of a tan so hopefully being back in Perth will help with the tan <laughs> Um, but I guess it's like you could say it's a little faster. Yeah, it well, looks good. It does. Like we we don't really we haven't really met before, so seeing you with the bald head, it just looks normal. It doesn't look like oh that looks like a a weird thing to do. Okay, it's a better reaction than my partner gave me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Jack's jumped on the back chat to get to get a bit of feedback on his shaved head as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just a <laughs> I mean, you, you told the the uh, China border story, but. Is there any any stories that jump off the page for you, crazy things that have happened on the road? I, I assume you've seen some things and maybe some of those things only you know and haven't been able to share them, but is there any just crazy stories that have happened while you've been breaking these records on the road out riding? Oh, one comes to mind, actually, and it's kind of fitting because it was back in Oz. So this is – I forget what year it was now. I rode from Perth across the Nullarbor to Adelaide. Um, it was a bike race in in Adelaide, the Tour Down Under, in January. And I thought, oh, I'm going to ride over from Perth to the Tour Down Under. 
and stupid idea, stupid idea to drive it, even more stupid idea to ride it because there's just <laughs> nothing out there and it's hot in January, like incredibly hot. Anyway, one day I was, I'd crossed the border into South Australia, I think. Yeah, I'd crossed the border. Anyway, I stopped on the side of the road to have a drink or something. I was doing something and a car pulled up and it was a, it was like an old Honda Ute or something, like a real old sort of like clapped out Ute. And there were two young guys in there and they had like, um, sort of like wooden box on the top of the car, which I didn't think much of at the time, but they said to me, oh, you all right, mate? And I was like, yeah, all good. Just, you know, like taking a breather or whatever I was doing. And they said, oh, do you need anything? And like, I was like, yeah, have you got a can of Coke or something? And they were like, no, no, we don't have any Coke, but we've got some Ribena. And I was like, I'm, ex- I'm expecting like a little juice box, right? Like your little kid's lunch box thing. And they pulled out this like two-liter bottle with like a little bit of Ribena in the bottom. And suddenly it started like going through my head. Like, what's going on here? This is a bit of a weird situation. They offered me this fucking dregs of Ribena. <laughs> and um, anyway, we were talking and they were saying, oh, we're going over to, I was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you driving over? And the story didn't really add up why they were going heading east. And I started getting like real funny feelings like, like, are they trying to like kidnap me or do something here? And like this wooden box on the top of the car, I started picturing as my coffin. I was like, <laughs> what's in that box? Am I going to end up in there? China, China, Lao, um, yeah. border crossing type areas. <laughs> yeah. South Western Australia, very similar scenes. <laughs> so for any backpackers coming over to us, it's really safe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. They gave me this Ribena and I, I said, oh, I'm gonna, I'll have this up the road as a bit of a treat. And um, I took off. Anyway, I was riding for ages and they didn't come past me. And I was just thinking the whole time, like, these guys are surely waiting for me to like, have this Ribena and then they're going like, to find me roadside. There's some sort of poison in it. And maybe this is me hallucinating, you know, like, as I'm riding across the desert. Maybe yeah. it's not. Anyway, they ended up coming like, roaring past in the car. And I ended up getting the right thing and just hurling it into the side of the off the side of the road. But I was convinced they were trying to basically like drug me and do something with me. But again, maybe it was the hallucinations or the fact that I was in Oz in the middle of summer. What was in the wooden box? I got no idea. <laughs> a body, I assume. So, yeah. A body. Someone else's body, I don't know. It was scary. Uh that's bloody good, mate. Now, um uh very, very good luck for your um, big trip down the Mundabitty Trail. We're going to be following along. We'd love to chat to you post that, mm. see how you go, get you on the show. Maybe while you're doing a bit of a trek through the schools and doing that side of things, we'd love to – well, maybe we can get you into the studio here if you yeah, want to be you're here. Back to, are you coming yeah. back to Perth after the Albany trek? Yeah, I'll be back in Perth for a couple of days and then I'm actually coming back in – I head back to Spain um, for two weeks and then I'm back in December for a month. Now – we don't let you off easy here. We are pretty much towards the back end of the potty, but it's time for social media, not social media, social media. Just like the amazing Chase, we spent years coming up with this name. Social media brought to you from the people by the people. Uh, this is questions from our audience. You've heard enough from Dan and I. Are you ready? Let's go. Sean Jasper. Uh, do you have any Australian ultra rides planned in the future? Maybe? Well, Sean. 
Yeah. Well, there's one next week that I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> Very no, good. So there's, yeah, yeah that, that'd be the main one. That's the big one in Oz. Life by Knox. Uh, do you ever get bored of cardio? Uh, I actually enjoy it, eh? Like I, yeah, I, I love the bike. I enjoy surfing. I, I go to the gym a little bit in winter, but I'm not much of a gym junkie. I'm, not, I'm nothing like my brother. <laughs> you look, do yourself a favor and just look up uh, Chad Thompson if you just, uh, I don't know, sitting along and listening to this, and you will be absolutely shocked. Jam underscore uh, double 89. This is a good question, actually. What's your favorite dinosaur? <laughs> mm, I'd have to say the T Rex. Really? Not not inventive. That's yeah, a bit boring. boring answer, to be honest. Sorry. Maybe the pterodactyl. Yeah, now we're talking. Too many to choose from. Yeah, we <laughs> like that. Doug underscore. We've both got kids as well, Dan. Yeah. So that's probably mine's is, uh, the the diplodocus. Really? Yeah, log neck. I couldn't go past the parasol <laughs> office, but um, we'll keep going. Doug <laughs> underscore Wilson. Uh, what's your opinions on e-bikes? Um, and also, what's your favorite bike in the stable? E-bikes, I love them. Huh? I reckon they get more people riding bikes. We actually did a project on e-bikes a couple of months back where we took them and we basically rode to the highest peak in the Pyrenees and then climbed it on foot. But we did it on an e-bike to tell a climate change story. So I'm all about it. Right. Uh, and then my favourite bike in the stable, I've got a specialised Roubaix SL8. It's uh, like a British racing green. I love it. Oh, I actually got a vintage bike as well that I enjoy, a specialised rock hopper. Do you, do you ride the vintage bike or is it just to look at? Nah, I ride it. And I, to be honest, I get more people commenting on that vintage bike when I ride it than I do when I ride the expensive ones. I'm more scared about the vintage one getting stolen than the expensive ones. <laughs> So there's some serious like expenses in, in, in cycling, isn't there? I mean, the bikes, yeah. equipment, it's expensive. Yeah. That's one of the problems. It's like a barrier to entry for a lot of people, like actually getting the stuff. So it's a shame. Like there are brands that do cheaper stuff. Um, it doesn't matter what you're riding. Like, just get out and ride. Like Bikes are fun. I rate it. I'll stay on my Melvin star. Thank you very much. Oh, is that right? <laughs> totally <laughs> underscored. Yeah, correct. Well, uh, I don't know what this means. What's your FTP? Ah, uh, so FTP is like so you got like functional threshold power. So like basically the power you can hold on a bike for like an hour. Right. All right. And my FTP is I'm not gonna say. <laughs> what, does that mean it's bad no. or good? No, no, no. My FTP is actually quite low. So my FTP is around 385. But I weigh, like I'm around 78 kilos. So like someone riding Tour de France, for example, like if we did a quick calc, so it's what's per kilo. So if I said I'm 78 and my FTP is 385 divided by 78, is 4.9 watts a kilo, all right? If we look at someone like Tade Pogacar, who... Jonas Finnegan wins the tour, their FTP, so if they were my weight, their FTP would be that 550 watts. So, like, they're essentially Ferraris. I'm a big cat tractor. <laughs> it's the tractor. That's your nickname. Tractor. We got your nickname, <laughs> yeah, the tractor. tractor. 
Jack the Tractor Thompson. I'm sorry. Stop the podcast. Wipe everything else. Jack the Tractor Thompson coming to a city near you. I can already see the shelter brewing with the little tractor on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, fuck me. Do we need to do anything else? No. Like, how much can we give? I don't, I don't know how much more we can give. Uh, Brady Hoff fan page, shout out. Uh, your, what's your biggest inspiration? Uh, biggest inspiration is probably outside of cycling, to be honest. Like, I love like looking at the surfing world, looking at the skiing world. Um, probably somebody like um, John Olsen, who's basically made a career. He was an extreme skier and he's turned his career into more like documenting what he does um, you know, outside of his skiing life. Like, I'm all about like people that show what's going on behind the scenes. So I reckon John Olsen's a pretty good guy to look at. Like it. Jazz 345. Uh, do you follow AFL whilst overseas? Can't speak. You know what? And this is a bit embarrassing. We grew up watching rugby. So, like, Dad was always a rugby man, so footy wasn't always a big thing in in our house. But in saying that, because I'm chatting with an ex-West Coast Eagles player, I'd, I'd have to say West Coast is probably my favourite team. Great. And um, Dan Schofield, probably my favourite all-time player. <laughs> Great. Dan, Dan, you you probably um you probably you probably oh, I would say um the West Coast thing would actually tickle Dan's fancy a little bit more, don't you think? Yeah, like, I'm, because a, you're, I'm a West Coast Dan, fan, and you're a nuffy. Mm, yeah, nuffy. But it's been a rough it's been a rough trot for a little while. So. <laughs> yeah, Trying not to talk about it too much. <laughs> uh, last one, the Eggman. Uh, how do you like your eggs? Sincerely, the Eggman. I like them. Um, I don't know how you call it. Like I like, I like fried them, but I cook them with the the the, um, the lid on the pan so that it's not super runny. I've yeah. got a weird thing with eggs; they make me feel a bit sick if they're too runny. It goes a bit pink on like the yolk. Yeah, I don't like it. Eh? Yeah, they've got to be cooked. The yolks. So is it like sunny side up, but it's like then the steam sort of like cooks the top a bit, so it's not left with like. You know how the yolk is runny, but then the white stays runny if you don't cook it long enough? Like I know that. what you're talking about. Are you, are you the egg man? Focus question. found him. Very good. Now, Jack, we know you do a, some nice stuff in social media and YouTube land. Can you just point people in the right direction, how they find some of your stuff, if been listening along and found it interesting? Sure, social media is Jack Ultra Cyclist. The same on YouTube, Jack Ultra Cyclist. So while you're there, you may as well jump on Backchat Studios' uh, YouTube page as well. Get over there. Subscribe to us both while you're doing your best work. Backchat double underscore. Backchatstudios.com.au. You can find all of our stuff. And a big thank you to all our sponsors and supporters. Shelter. They get a little mention of off the top. Uh, of course, Fleet Network powering the podcast this year. Swimply, Whippersnapper Whiskey, Mother River Roasting Co., Blue Bet. Shelter Brewing Co. Leadable Cameras and Mumba Digital, uh, our very good friends at ID Athletic as well. Uh, yes, we have a long list of sponsors. Maybe, Jack, you could beat us. I don't know. Maybe you could go through some of your sponsors as well if you like. Uh, mate, it's been a pleasure having you on the pod. We do appreciate you getting up nice and early in Spain and um, good luck when you get back here in Perth, mate. Thanks a lot, boys. Looking forward to chatting when this is all done and sharing a shelter rail with you. Yeah. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.